Hi, it's Matt. Just before we start the show, I want to tell you about a great live event I've got coming up on the 27th of March. To celebrate 600 episodes of Recruiting Future, I'm going to be hosting a live Ask Me Anything webinar. This is your chance to pick my brain on anything you like, including market trends and predictions, the impact of AI on recruiting, skills-based hiring, the changing role of recruiters, podcasting tips, or even my favourite Scottish tourist destinations and whiskies. Literally, ask me anything. I'll also be joined by some surprise special guests who'll be adding their perspectives to the conversation. You can sign up now by going to mattalder.me slash AMA. That's mattalder.me slash AMA. And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time. mattalder.me slash AMA. Support for this podcast is provided by HackerJob, a reverse marketplace that actively vets engineers. HackerJob flips the traditional model on its head, meaning companies apply to engineers versus candidates applying to jobs. With companies getting an 85% response rate to the candidates they reach out to, as well as exposure to tech talent that directly meets their organization's diversity objectives. After all, the ability to attract, hire and retain tech talent from all backgrounds is critical to every organization's success. Companies such as S&P Global, CarMax and Sensor Tower are all using HackerJob, so why not join them? Go to hackerjob.com future to get your free 30-day trial today. That's hackerjob.com future. And HackerJob is spelled H-A-C-K-A-J-O-B. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 552 of the Recruiting Future podcast. The talent acquisition landscape is changing rapidly. 2023 has been a difficult year for many people in the profession, with a lot of layoffs and an incredibly tough job market for recruiters. At the same time, advances in AI and automation technologies are driving types of change that we couldn't have imagined a few years ago. And post-pandemic labour shortages are still a reality in many talent markets. All this disruption is forcing employers to think differently about jobs, work, skills and recruiting. Creating an incredible opportunity for talent acquisition to illustrate its long-term value to the business. So what role does TA play in the future? And how can TA leaders prove its strategic value when many of their teams are still being downsized? My guest this week is Jessica Swan, COO at Whereby. Jessica is a cutting-edge HR thinker and has written a book detailing how people ops should be run using product management principles. In our conversation, we talk about the future role of talent acquisition, and Jessica offers practical advice on how TA leaders can prove their strategic value. Hi, Jessica, and welcome back to the podcast. 
Thank you for having me back. It's very exciting to be here again. It's an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show. I think you were on quite some time ago when uh, the show was uh, quite a few episodes less than it is now, but great to talk to you again. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, So my name is Jessica Svahn. I'm currently the Chief Operating Officer of a company called Whereby. We are a fully remote video communications platform. We create video communications APIs that integrate into products you're building. So if you're building a mental health app or a telehealth app, for example, and you wanted to have uh, video calls built into what you're building, you would purchase Whereby and we'd, we'd do all of that back-end work for you so that you didn't have to do all the heavy lifting in your engineering team. Um, and we also have a B2C product that is kind of similar to a Zoom, Microsoft Teams type thing, except obviously much nicer and easier to use, of course, goes without saying. I have, though, which is you know why you and I know each other, and I've spoken on the podcast before, have a background in people operations, despite now being in uh, just general operations. So I have built my career in people ops, um, mainly in Europe and now in the US. Yeah, absolutely. You've had a really interesting background, haven't you? Were you a recruiter originally as well? I wasn't really ever a pure recruiter, but I think I was always one of those startup people that kind of did it all. Absolutely. So speaking of people ops, you recently wrote a great book about it. Tell us about the book. Why did you write it and what do you cover in it? Thank you for the kind words, by the way. Yeah. So I wrote a book recently called Built for People. It was published earlier this year. It is a book all about how to approach your people operations, product management principles in mind. So it's really talking about how to think about your people experience as this kind of third product that you're building. I believe that every company is building three products. One is the uh, product you're selling to your customers. So it's, um, you know, razors if you're Harry's razors or it's uh, video comms platforms if you're whereby. And that is something that your product engineering team spends an awful lot of time working out how best fits for your ideal customer profile and thinking about the product strategy Then you have this investment vehicle that the company exists for within the VC community or private equity, or even if you're bootstrapped, you know, there is still an investment vehicle there that you as a a founder are buying into. And then finally, you have your employee experience, which I analogize to be like a subscription product. So like a wine subscription or um, some kind of subscription food box, whatever you want to call it. Um, And every month your employees are choosing to subscribe until they don't and they decide to churn and uh, leave the platform or leave the product um, when they hand in their resignation. So I talk about how to use that analogy to build your people team kind of structurally and philosophically to work like a product team, how to think about things from first principles thinking, how to operate in sprints and design thinking. And yeah, basically how to be maybe a little bit more commercial, I would say, in the way that you approach your people operations. And that's kind of the philosophy of it. You also asked why I wrote it, which is, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if every, anyone has like a straightforward answer to this, that they've written a book. I don't know what you would say to yours, but I wrote a blog post in 2020 about the idea of PeopleOps as a product. Um, and it, you know, obviously struck a chord with quite a lot of people. People really enjoyed reading it and had a lot of questions to ask about it. Um, a friend of, uh, I think both of us, friend of the pod, um, Lars, he um, reached out to me and said, would you be interested in being introduced to uh, the Kogan Page team? And they'd love to hear about potentially you, you know, expanding this into a book. And then stupidly, I was like, yeah, what's well, like 10 blog posts? It'll be easy. I'll just do it on the weekends. Um, of course, two years later, I was, you know, writing 1,500 words a week um, and finally finished it. So that is 
kind of the, I guess, a really practical reason why I wrote it. But I also just thought, you know, people seem to enjoy it and have a lot of questions and I, I wanted to expand a bit more on the writing. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting process. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think our first book started as a white paper that got picked up and it kind of expanded from there. But it, yeah, it's, it is immensely challenging writing a book, but at the same time, it's such a great way to really think about, you know, a kind of a methodology like this. And I, I love the subscription idea because I think that kind of chimes so well with how people think about their, their jobs and their careers or how people probably should think about their jobs and their careers. I want to dive into it in a bit more detail in a second, but before we do, just give us a bit of context because it's been a very disruptive year, particularly in the tech sector when it comes to employment and hiring. What are the biggest challenges that you're seeing in the talent markets at the moment? Yeah, I think I personally am not a huge fan, and it's in it's in the book as well, about really having this huge kind of operational split between TA and people ops. I think TA has always been so good at actually really what I talk about in my book, very, very good at kind of thinking about output metrics, really good at this kind of funnel optimization of funnel thinking and being really commercial. You know, if you have a conversation with a TA leader about what they're tracking, what they're thinking about, I, I've often found that I get a much more kind of commercial and succinct answer than I do from a lot of people ops leaders. And I think the last couple of months, we businesses have made a mistake of letting go of TA people because they're not just doing the kind of operational process work. So just, you know, filling roles, filling roles, but there's actually so much benefit that your TA team has to your entire people ops journey. Like so many great TA leaders are really, really good at understanding, for example, like, you know, how to assess behaviors when it comes to performance and how to uh, amalgamate large quantities of feedback and get something fairly qualitative, uh, quantitative out of it sorry so qualitative and quantitative mixed up there but you know and i think businesses at the moment are making really drastic cuts to their recruitment and ta teams which is of course in response to the fact there's not an awful lot of recruitment going on but i do actually think that what we're ending up losing is a lot of the really good product thinking that the ta teams bring to people ops and maybe this could have been a better opportunity for us to really lean on bringing those skills into our full people ops funnel rather than just stripping it all back and focusing on the kind of the admin of the people ops world. Obviously, the challenges we're seeing with that at the moment is just the market is really tough for recruiters. And I think that there's a lot of value that they can bring. And maybe businesses aren't really feeling the pain of that right now. But I think we will start to soon when there's all of this work that hasn't been done over this course of time, and we have to kind of play catch up for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. It's um, It's been kind of a crazy time of hiring lots of recruiters, letting lots of recruiters go, and just the consistency over the years in terms of sort of strategic talent, talent planning and things like that would we'll just be out the window in many organizations. So I suppose that brings me on to my next question. So slotting TA into this people ops as product structure, what does that look like in terms of, you know, data that goes through the model? How does it, what benefits does it bring to TA? You touched a bit on the benefits that TA bring to the, the rest of the business, but how does it, how does it kind of fit in and flow through as it were? Yeah. So I think people roles and I, I kind of call everyone people partner, regardless of whether they're doing talent or um, kind of more traditional HR work, you have two, two sides to your role. One side is the 
softer advisory work, the discussions that you have with managers when they're trying to give difficult feedback. It's um, speaking to people directly about, you know, difficult circumstances they're having, you know, the work that an AI algorithm can't take over yet, (laughs) yet. Um, And that work exists obviously in, in every part of the people operations function, right? There's, you know, talent leaders have to be spending a lot of time having, you know, detailed influencing conversations with hiring managers about what's going on in the market and understand um, how to, you know, give hard feedback to candidates that really need to hear it or you know, give constructive candidates to feedback in a way that guides them in the right direction. Um, and people ops, people have the same challenges. They have to give feedback to people who need some guidance on performance, give feedback to managers that are maybe having a difficult time in their team, et cetera, um, and then advise them on, on strategic ways forward. That work, I think, remains pretty much unchanged in my model. The other half of what people ops and, and talent people need to be doing, I think, is what I call kind of people operations or like more of the, the kind of product management side of things. And that is building the tools and products that your businesses use as businesses use throughout the entire kind of employee subscription lifecycle. And I think TA uh, folks have a part to play in every single element of that subscription lifecycle, right? So I would put a TA person in a squad with people ops people that are maybe a little bit more experienced in comp and ben, a little bit more experienced in, um, you know, HRBP advisory work to work on a project around a compensation philosophy, for example, which I think traditionally has been seen very much as a, that's a pure people operations responsibility. TA folks very rarely have very much to do with those kinds of pieces of work. But my argument is actually that the work becomes better and richer if you have somebody that has experience in all different elements of that human operations or the more kind of qualitative piece of work and able to give that feedback back in and say, we know I've been speaking to people in the market and actually, you know, a transparent salary framework is something that's driving a lot of our uh, closed offers. So I think we should be taking that on board as we build this, this product. And then the comp and Ben person would be the one that's bringing in like the data piece and understanding, you know, where we need to draw this information from. Um, and the HRBP might be writing the policy in a way that the team can really understand it. And that work, I think, like always exists, even when there's no recruitment that needs to happen. And that's kind of what I mean with the challenges that we're facing at the moment is what we're seeing is that voice of the person that's actually out there doing the kind of top of funnel work for your business, really advocating for uh, not only your employer brand, but able to advocate for what's happening in the market. And I do believe that your culture exists within a marketplace, right? Um, That voice at the moment, I think, is kind of worryingly missing from a lot of these products that we're building. Um, And that's what I mean when I think there's going to be knock-on effects in a couple of months, Um, not just because the strategic talent planning hasn't happened, but because we're building things without the voice of the person that actually can really advocate for the top of funnel. I think that's really interesting. And 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 really, you know, TA is playing the marketing role in this, isn't it? And it's kind of like the full marketing role. It's not just like sales and, and advertising. It's product fit, pricing, and, you know, all of the intelligence market research, all those kind of things that a marketing department does. That's kind of really sort of TA's role in this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely the way I think about it is TA is marketing. Your traditional HR teams are either going to be you know, project management or legal or some element of the the kind of funnel later on, like the the product uh, life cycle. Um, but the TA marketing angle is really really important because even if your team are all employed and you have no open roles, you are still constantly 
advertising back to your own team, right? Like you're still, you know, if you're selling a product, if, we, if you're thinking about, I don't know, Zipcar or something like that, if anyone subscribes to Zipcar, I still receive all of their marketing emails. I still receive information telling me, well, you should still subscribe if, even if you're not driving Zipcar. And those direct and indirect messages need to come from somewhere in your team. And I don't think at the moment that just having an employee experience person necessarily captures just how broad that marketing kind of role is within the people team. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com slash pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. So in terms of structuring something like this, traditionally HR, traditional HR has been broken down into uh, kind of very distinct silos for a very long time. Lots of people listening will work in organizations where, you know, talent management, L&D, talent acquisition are under some umbrella somewhere, but, but, but essentially very, very separate. How do you set something like this up? Does it need to be done from scratch or can an HR function evolve towards it? Yeah, I think the majority of HR functions can evolve towards this without so much heavy lifting. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the kind of centers of excellence model, even like the Ulrich model necessarily, but the people that I've seen and worked with in those models, I think generally understand their shortcomings and particularly for, you know, businesses under maybe 2000 people, the patchy nature of work and the kind of lumpy nature of how the work comes out, which is kind of exactly what we're talking about now, right? Like a couple of months ago, recruiters were absolutely overwhelmed. And now all of a sudden we have nothing for them to do in air quotes. But of course that's you know not the case. And that's actually one of the biggest shortcomings of this kind of siloed model. Um, and people are aware of that. They feel that pain, um, whether or not they're kind of cognizant of it and, and complaining about it or, you know, trying to give the feedback on it. People do feel the pain of Goodness me, I you know if you're a comp and bend person, then the performance review process is a really really intense piece of work. Whereas if you're a recruiter, the second you get fundraising, uh, you know all hell breaks loose. That can't surely be the way that businesses should be operating because it's definitely not the way that things operate in product management teams. As if 
you know, of course there's highs and lows of work depending on what's happening in the market, but it's by no means as, as, as lumpy um, as HR teams have managed to kind of build it in. But for me, I think I've met so many people, people in my life. And I think sometimes I get the criticism of describing the model and my book and the way that I think things could work better as being that I you know don't respect HR teams or I, I don't think that the HR team should be you know structured in the ways that they've been structured because they're bad in some way, which is just not the case. I have actually a huge amount of respect for HR folks, and obviously that's why that I you know come from this world. So many people that I've met actually really get the commercials of the business and want to be more deeply involved in um, the strategy from beginning to end, and particularly TA people. You know, I've met so many folks that have worked in recruitment that say. You know, I'd love to be able to give advice on probation process because I see the same mistakes happening over and over again. And I do so much work on getting great quality feedback and I feel like it goes nowhere. And, you know, they have all these great ideas, but these silos have kind of prevented them from doing it. And I know a lot of uh, really great TA people that have gone and done coding boot camps to do better interviews for engineers. So it's not like they're not trying to seek the skills that I'm suggesting that HR and TA teams can and should have. It's, I think it's just the, the structure has been so traditionally in place that it's hard to break it. But I think you can either, you can kind of do one of two things. I think you can find your team strengths and say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to align you, know, you in a role that's a bit more TA focused and you in a role that's a bit more comp and band focused and you in a role that's a bit more L&D, knowing that we're all T-shaped and you'll be doing multiple things. And maybe some of you will be recruiting at the same time and some of you won't. And some of you will be doing more HRBP work and you know, some, of you, some of you won't. Um, and just accept that it's going to be a fluid transition until you find out where those strengths work. Um, or you can do what um, I've seen some other teams do really effectively, which is start aligning people in those um, kind of squad functions and then bring experts in to really help your team on big spikes of work. So, for example, if you are doing a big piece around uh, maybe your your ESOP or your, your EMI program, you know, if you haven't got someone in your team that you confidently say, well, they're a comp and bend person for the next six months, there's nothing wrong with bringing somebody in to help upskill your TA team and your people team in the squad formation to say, while we're working on this project, everyone's going to be doing a bit of the building and a bit of the advisory. And we've got this consultant that's coming in for six months to level you up on what needs to be happening. And this person's going to be the lead because they have the most experience in this space during this time. I think you can kind of shift in that direction over time. I think that makes perfect sense. And I kind of really share the thoughts you've got there on the TA leaders that I speak to, and I'm sure many of the TA leaders who are listening to the podcast are very frustrated at the moment because they are really trying to find ways to prove the strategic value of talent acquisition you know, to their business. Some of that's to do with the market. Some of that's to do with technology in terms of the fear that lots of TA could be hollowed out and replaced by AI and lots of good things could be lost. So as a COO, what would your advice be to a TA leader in terms of how they can make that case to the business? Yeah, I kind of give the same advice most of the time, which is... I feel like for TA leaders, I think it's always going to be like a, yeah, obviously, but I, you know, really focusing on output metrics and how to solve problems that the business is facing. So, you know, I, th- I actually see this a bit more on the kind of HR side than the TA side. So like I said, I do think the TA teams generally are very, very good at output metrics and focusing more on these marketing-esque metrics. But if you can identify a problem that exists within your business, rather than just applying a solution to it at the beginning and saying, well, we're going to implement this tool or we're going to 
build a workforce plan for the next five years to give us something to do. Instead, really try and find a problem that's currently existing that's chronic, even if it's further down the funnel than you usually would be comfortable with. So, for example, if it is probation, um, don't be afraid to say, I think there are TA solutions to this and some metrics we can put in place in probation um, that I think we can produce a project or produce a product or produce a piece of work that will help solve that problem either pretty quickly or, you know, a bit further down the path. And, you know, don't be afraid of looking for those output metrics further down the funnel because that's something that marketing teams actually do sometimes really effectively in times where there has, isn't a, you know, a huge swell in the market in terms of new business. They will confidently say like, well, in that case, what we're going to do is trying to improve our retention or our customer lifetime value rather than just our acquisition metrics. And I think maybe speaking to your marketing team about that could be really helpful. Say, you know, if there was a, a down market and you weren't acquiring a lot of new customers, what metrics would you focus on to try and help the business and see how you can apply that to TA and then partner with the people team to solve those problems together? That, that's absolutely fantastic advice. I mentioned AI just then. So what impact does AI have on all of this? How does it benefit or change this approach? You know, what, what do you think the impact is going to be on people ops? Yeah, I think I've got this kind of like wacky, I spoke on a podcast recently where it was like, this is my hot take. So this is going to be the hot take section of the pod, <laughs> podcast today, Matt. I think at the moment, there's a couple of things that are happening of, of which AI is one. So AI is really helpful in alleviating the need for folks to be doing bitty, administrative, repeatable work, right? That's not a very controversial statement. If you need to write outreach emails, it can do it. 50 times faster than I could ever write an outreach email. There's the other thing, which is at the moment, and this is, I guess, part of what we've already spoken about, is there's an awful lot of really, really talented people out there in the market that are really experienced. And many of them, for the first time in a very long time, are from you know fang companies, really big tech, very experienced folks. And then the third thing is there's this big push and very public conversations about companies moving to sustainability and profitability. So if you have all those three, three things working together, what you have is uh, roles that are by their nature a bit more senior than they were a couple of years ago, a bit more strategic, maybe a bit more focused on the kind of planning, resourcing, strategy side of things and less on the admin repeatability. You have really senior people that have the experience that are really ready to kind of get stuck in for potentially a lower salary for a smaller team or for a more exciting mission. And then you have CEOs and founders that are publicly talking about how they're profitable or moving towards profitability. And I think what that means is we're going to start seeing people expecting changes in the way that they're compensated. I personally believe that we'll start seeing people talking more about uh, higher equity uh, ownership, maybe profit sharing, uh, performance bonuses. I think you're going to see some really senior teams popping up um, with a lot more kind of fluidity in the way that they're um, staffing their team. So more consultants, more advisors. Um, and, and much fewer admins and, and kind of maybe junior roles, although I don't really believe junior roles will be wiped out. I just think they'll change like they did when you know cloud platforms came in. And I think it's going to have a really interesting and positive effect on the people teams. I think people teams will have to think more strategically because they're going to have more strategic colleagues and stakeholders, but also because they themselves are going to be um, hopefully much more commercial and strategic in and of themselves uh, and not spending so much time on just producing templates and making comms and really having to push the envelope a little bit more. Uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Final question. And I suppose this is kind of a summary of everything that we've we've talked about so far, really. But what do you hope the future looks like? What, what are things going to be like in two or three years' time? 
there was this article a couple oh god years ago now, but it was a some chap wrote an article. I think it was an HBR about how people teams of the future were going to be staffed completely by MBAs and management consultants, and then all of the admin would be given to the HR teams that would kind of process payroll and send outreach emails and uh, do all the repeatable tasks. And I am pretty confident that that future is well and truly not going to happen. I actually think what we're going to see is what we are seeing now, right, which is that more and more people leaders and TA leaders will start shifting into broader operational roles, that they'll really start focusing on kind of T-shaped skills and fully knowing the commercials of the business and how that impacts the the marketplace that they exist in from a culture perspective and from a USP who is their customer perspective from an employee um, point of view. And I, you know, I think that people leaders will really start thinking about much more commercial metrics. We'll be able to start looking at things like employee lifetime value versus acquisition costs and thinking about those marketing metrics and how we can influence them and start, I think, becoming the function that we've been talking about, you know, having a seat at the table, which I hate that sentence so much. But I think that now, like all of the kindling is there for that to finally, I think, really be ignited. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to see it happen more and more. Like so many TA and people leaders are moving into COO roles and starting to take over broader responsibilities. And I'm really excited to see where that takes businesses. Jessica, thank you very much for talking to me. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure as always. My thanks to Jessica. If you're a fan of the Recruiting Future podcast, then you will absolutely love our newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast. Not only does it give you the inside track on what's coming up on the show, you can also find everything from book recommendations to insightful episodes from the archives and first access to new content that helps you to understand where our industry is heading. Sign up now and also get instant access to the recording of my recent webinar on the future of talent acquisition. Just go to recruitingfuturefeast.com slash webinar. That's recruitingfuturefeast.com slash webinar. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or via your podcasting app of choice. You can find and search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com and don't forget to sign up for the newsletter Recruiting Future Feast. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. 
You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.